0: I'm Lance Key, co-host of Get Inspired and Innovate, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com.
1: Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Kim Strobel. Kim Strobel is a happiness coach. She is a consultant, keynote speaker, and the host of the podcast, she finds joy. Kim helps organizations, schools, corporations, and individuals learn how to overcome the overwhelming influences and reclaim their their focus and happiness. So much to learn today. Oh, by the way, make sure that you go to KimStrobel.com/gratitude-tracker to learn how gratitude can change your life, and I'll have a link for that in my show notes. Thanks for listening. You're gonna love this episode. Enjoy. District leaders nationwide have confirmed that online learning is here to stay, as one in five districts are planning to adopt or have already adopted a fully online school. With the evolving landscape in the competitive field of education, you might be wondering what you can do to stand out. Well, I encourage you to look into National Virtual Teacher Association, or NVTA, to pursue a college-accredited program recognized by states across the country to certify educators in online education. Their certification empowers educators to provide the world-class virtual instruction that every student deserves. The average teacher needs one semester to complete the program, and it culminates in a digital portfolio that you may use in job interviews or even with your current administration to, you know, (laughs) negotiate a raise or promotion. Some of the topics to be covered in the certification include establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources. The NVTA certification process was created to establish a valid and reliable research-based teacher qualification training process for virtual teachers to enhance their teaching and develop their ongoing reflective skills to improve teaching capacity. NVTA certification is a challenging and meaningful process to support your personal and professional goals NVTA is an affiliate partner for Teaching Learning Leading K-12 click the link in the show notes or go to my webpage stephenmaletto.com find the NVTA logo and go to their website that way and if you do that, if you buy something Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission and I greatly thank you for that. So go check them out. I think you'll be glad you did (music) You are listening to Teaching, Learning,
0: Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's
1: show. As a leadership consultant and happiness coach, Kim Strobel helps businesses and organizations overcome their fears, discover their joy, and prioritize their health and well-being so they can reach new levels in their business and their life. Featured on News 14, Parade Magazine, International Tech Conference, Women's Global Conferences, School Safety, and Pharmaceutical Companies, Kim is a powerhouse influencer, consultant, and happiness coach whose work shapes the way people and leaders show up. Companies like Google, international tech, and corporate companies call on Kim to help businesses, organizations, and high achievers prioritize their health and well-being so they can overcome burnout by taking control of their health, wellness, and happiness with simple habits that create work-life balance. When she's not rescuing dogs or downing a McDonald's Diet Coke, Kim is also a nationally recognized consultant, speaker, and happiness coach who is deeply passionate about empowering others to live bigger, bolder, braver lives. With her contagious, high-energy style, Kim has a unique ability to empower and embolden her audience. Responses. motivational inspirational, and always approachable kim's real talk attitude is a refreshing approach that allows her to uh, authentically connect with hearts and humans everywhere today we're going to talk a little about being happy and how teachers can overcome their overwhelm and reclaim their happiness as well as a few other topics and thoughts kim thanks for joining me today and say hello to everyone
0: well hello everyone thanks for having me to the show Stephen.
1: well i'm glad you're here and uh, uh it, this is awesome connecting with you. I appreciate you a while back ago, reaching out to me. And uh, and this is cool. You have your own awesome podcast and there's all cool happiness uh, coaching thing going on. And we're going to talk more about, uh, but before we do anything, um, when I read deep into some of the different stuff that you have online, I actually saw the numbers of animals you've rescued. So Can you talk a little bit about you and your family rescuing animals? Yeah,
0: of course I can. Um, And even before I answer that question, I want to let everybody know that I'm a former school teacher turned curriculum director. And a ton of the work that I do is definitely in the educational realm, schools and colleges, universities, um, all of those things. But I am this crazy animal rescuer. And the number Stephen has now jumped to 122 dogs that we have rescued in the last 20 years. Now I, um, I have to laugh because as I'm talking about this right now, I hear one dog in the other room who's starting to act up. Uh, so I guess he's just trying to let us know this is part of who Kim is, but, um, you know, in where I live in Perry County, we have a pretty big stray animal problem and I've just always had a soft heart for animals and I'm literally the girl who pulls her car over on the side of the road, picks up a, a dog or a pup, brings it home, takes it to the vet, gets it shot, get it gets it spayed and neutered, and then kind of take people through an interview process and find it a home. And so, yeah, I always say, you know, there's a lot of things I've done wrong in my life, but that's one that I've done really well.
1: That's so cool. That's so cool. I, I I was looking at that and the the numbers and like I said, you have in different places, some different information about it. And I was like, okay, we got to talk about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We even rescued Luna, who's a permanent family member. I think she was number 112. And At this time last year, my husband and I were vacationing in Cancun and every morning um, I'm a runner. I run about 40 miles a week. And so I take a a run on the beach every morning. And this, this little dog came out from under a tarp and every morning she started running with me. And long story short, short, it took us six months, but she flew to the U.S. on July 31st in the belly of a plane. So we even have a rescue from Mexico.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Well, kudos to you all for doing that. That's cool. Thank Uh, you. Very nice. So, you know, as a happiness coach, what do you like the most about what you do for organizations you work with? And, And one of the things I want to make sure we get to in here a little bit is that it took a little bit for you to become the, the, the speaker and the, the outgoing, uh, you know, to kind of to, to get this big personality happening. Can you talk a little bit about that too?
0: Yeah. I, I always get just a little nervous when I'm standing behind the curtain and I'm getting ready to be introduced, um, on a stage. And a lot of times, you know, this is in front of educational institutions And they're like, and we have a happiness coach in the house. And there's a little part of me that's like, okay, I'm going to set the record straight. This does not mean that I'm sunshine butterflies and a unicorn. Um, Because immediately I think some people can be like, oh, let's get real. Like someone who's happy all the time, you know, we can kind of roll our eyes at that. And so I I kind of like to back the story up and let people know, like, how did I go from a fourth grade teacher to a curriculum director, to a motivational speaker, speaker, and now a happiness coach. And it was really born out of my own darkness and my own trauma. So if I can take the audience back with me just a, a bit, when I, I look back at my childhood and I can always tell I had like nervous thoughts or worrisome thoughts, and I can even look back throughout elementary and middle school and see like, oh, I was always worried about these kinds of things, but I functioned completely. Normally I had friends, I participated in sports. I did all of that. But when I was a sophomore in high school, Stephen, I started having these episodes that came out of nowhere. And basically within what we now know, one-tenth of a second, because that's how fast your brain can fire your amygdala, um, within one-tenth of a second, my entire body would begin to shake and sweat, and the walls would feel like they were closing in. I would feel like I was losing consciousness. I had confusion about who I was and where I was, even when I was in a familiar place, and I had this great urge to just escape or to get out of the classroom or to get to safety or to get to my mom. And from about age 16 till about age 24, that was a very, very, very dark journey for me because nobody knew what was wrong with me. And what ended up happening is I just never felt safe in my own body. And I began to limit myself. So, you know, those episodes started coming. I would be filled with terror I would just, it was horrible. And I really um, started having these attacks multiple times a day and I became agoraphobic. So I was afraid to leave my house, to walk to my mailbox, to get in my car and drive five minutes to a Walmart or a Target. I mean, I just couldn't hardly do it. And if you told me I had to go inside the store, that was just even worse. And so I really felt Full of shame. I didn't understand what was wrong with me and why I couldn't function normally. Um, And it's always an emotional story for me to tell because when I was about 24, I really did have a bathroom moment where um, my husband at the time had left for the day and normally I would go stand by the phone. And, um, cause I think there was like 15 minutes from the time he left for work and I left for work and I didn't want to be by myself at home. So I would stand by the phone in case I needed to call someone for help. Um, but for whatever reason, that day I went to the bathroom and I curled up on the bath mat rug and, you know, Stephen, I've just learned to state the truth of my story. And the truth is that I didn't want to live anymore because I didn't know what was wrong with me. I, I didn't know what was going on in my head. I didn't know why I couldn't function as normal, people were functioning and I didn't have any answers. And so I tell people that, you know, every five minutes of my day was really a struggle. And I just kind of had this conversation with God and said, I can't do this myself, but, but I just need you to take my life. I really did. And it makes me sad to think about that young woman who was struggling for all those years. Um, But I don't know if it's like, I don't know if I heard a message, or I Maybe it was the fire in my belly. I don't know exactly what it is. But I somehow got the message that, like, you're, you're not done yet, you're made for more. And so it's like a series of events that took place after that moment, I ended up going to a doctor who diagnosed me with panic disorder. Um, and we weren't talking about anxiety disorders back then. And so he diagnosed me with a panic disorder, which I felt relief for the first time in six or seven years, like my, or eight years, I guess, you know, like there's a reason why my brain is doing this, you know? Um, and he put me on an antidepressant, which I think saved my life because it helped reduce the symptoms of panic attacks. And then, um, I went to therapy and I dove into the self-help world. And I tell people that my becoming a happiness coach was really, because I was in this very dark area where I did not feel there was any hope. And I have been able to create a life that I really love out of all of that darkness. But of course, I still have struggles today. I, I think all of us do. And I think the reason this story is important is not that everybody has panic disorder or an anxiety disorder, but we all have had really hard things in our life, haven't we, Stephen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I think like understanding that, um, that we can do hard things if we're willing to work on ourselves and, and that there is a path out of it, you know, or at least a set of skills that we can develop that will help us navigate this journey. And I find that people in education, I mean, my doctor told me one time, he said, Kim, the number one reason I see patients is for the common cold. And the number two reason I see patients is because of either anxiety or depression. And he said, educators are the number one people I see for that condition.
1: That's wild. <laughs>
0: and I, oh, but it's such a tough profession.
1: Yeah, especially, and I, it was tough before. And now we're in this really weird world.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's what I always say. Like, how did it somehow get tougher? But it did.
1: It definitely did. We have, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's just the that that world of trying to figure out how you do. If you had a tough time before figuring out how to connect with uh, kids, <laughs> I just can't imagine what that's like. If you, you couldn't connect before, now you're trying to connect through the uh, uh, through the little box.
0: <laughs> yeah. And say
1: hello. Yeah. yes, I'm your teacher. Um, yeah. I, I talked with somebody recently who said he started pretending like he's on a TV show and that they're the, and, uh, and I thought that was an interesting way of dealing with that. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, cause it always has, I mean, it always has been difficult because you, you got lots of kids, personalities, different, different, uh, Lots of people trying to tell you how to do <laughs> that doesn't yeah. help.
0: And uh, yeah, and sometimes don't you think like as a teacher, I sometimes like if I have to learn one more thing, like there's no, <laughs> there's nothing left in me to give.
1: <laughs> but that, okay. So I have to say, that's funny because you were a, a curriculum person too, right?
0: Yeah. Curriculum director. Yeah. I loved curriculum. Yes.
1: Very cool. So usually curriculum directors involved in having, make, making sure we have some of those meetings, right? Did you have yep. to? <laughs> the, the, the PD and the training sessions. So
0: yeah, right. We're just going to pile one more initiative, one more thing <laughs> that you need to learn onto your plate, um, and then we're never going to give you enough time to actually master it because we're going to throw something else at you the next year.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. The uh, so you know right up there with principles, you end up with uh, someone's throwing darts at you someplace. <laughs> it might be yeah. A actually, that's a
0: really great analogy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's funny. So uh, I I want to take us because we're gonna we're gonna kind of come back to some of that and just second but uh, let's let's talk a little bit about happiness so you know because you've made this world for yourself in, uh, in in being a happiness coach and so let's shift to a little bit about uh, um you know the science of happiness i mean what what are we talking about what is it i mean i and and i gotta ask you this because is i i'm kind of sneaking in here because you you asked this question on your podcast yeah <laughs> you know so so what you know what is happiness and what makes you happy
0: what makes me personally happy? Yes. Well, I think happiness is, um, I think that part of the problem is we we play this if win game with happiness. We say things like, well, I'll be happy when I lose the weight or I'll be happy when I get a better job. I'll be happy when we can afford a bigger home. I'll be happy when I no longer have this job anymore. And so what happens is we keep tying our happiness to the achievement of a goal. And this is going to leave us forever disappointed. It's just the way our brains are made. We know that that doesn't work. We know that it's wonderful to have goals and having goals is definitely a part of happiness. You wanna be able to have a vision for what you're working towards. You wanna have a purpose. So purpose and meaning is very important in happiness. But what we're really talking about is just the inner journey of yourself and feeling that sense of fulfillment a lot of the time or knowing that there are times when you will struggle. I mean, I threw myself on the other side of this desk three weeks ago and my husband walked in and saw me crying on the floor. You know, this is part of our journey. We have to honor the hard things in our life. I don't believe in toxic positivity, which is where people go around like rah, rah, rah. And, you know, Hey, Steven, uh, you know, just think about all that's good in your life. You know, don't feel bad. Don't feel depressed. Don't feel frustrated. Just get your head out of the sand and think about all the blessings. Let me tell you that does not work. And so we have to honor our heavy feelings along the way, feel them and work through them. But we also have a set of tools in our daily life that can help us increase our happiness levels.
1: That's, that's cool. Cause that's, you know, and by the way, um, yeah, if you ever want to know the reaction to, uh, all you have to do is put a room full, I don't care what state they're from, but I'm pretty sure if you got a room full of high school principals and put them in a room with someone who's the toxic happiness person
0: <laughs> yes.
1: at the beginning, you would definitely hear a lot of, raw,
0: raw, raw, raw. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're, we're ready just to like, you know, Yeah, that does not work at all. And I, I feel like there's this misinterpretation that that is how, I mean, we even do it to little kids, right? Like when they fall or they get mad or they get, we say now, honey, don't, don't be upset, honey. Don't, (laughs) don't cry. It's like, oh my goodness, we are allowed to have our feelings, the, the whole, and I think that's what we do too in education sometimes And part of the work I do when I work with organizations is helping us understand that we are allowed to be real people and talk through some of this hard stuff instead of constantly sugarcoating, you know, we, we can't sugarcoat this stuff. We're going to keep having the same problems over and over until we really deal with this at a foundational level within this system.
1: That's, that's awesome. Cause that's, you know, and, and by the way, it just made me think I watch way too much, much TV in my life. And, uh, you know, um, on the show Seinfeld. I don't know if you ever watched. Oh it. yeah. There was a towards, uh, I think it was later in the series. There was a situation where, uh, George and his father got into this whole thing called serenity now, which was meant to help them control their anger and they and what they're supposed to do is say whenever they felt anger they're just go serenity now serenity now and what ended up happening was they just held it all in until they all blew up yeah.
0: and it's <laughs> a great analogy
1: and so that kind of fits well right here because you know it's uh, i think a lot of times we're not supposed to show and you're supposed to gather it all in and and to me they kind of wonder if uh, that's what the problem is is that when uh, uh, fathers and mothers then go to their kids' soccer and basketball and football games. Is that it all comes out that they've been holding yes. in from work? Bah! And yeah. the target is the ref or the ump or right.
0: you know, so. or our spouse. Or, yes, or the
1: spouse too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, we, I've studied the research for 20 years, and this is why like happiness and well being, I think, are really coming to the forefront. Because, first of all, you know, feelings of burnout and overwhelm are are two topics we talk a lot about. And let's be honest, that's just rampant in today's lives. I don't know anybody who doesn't feel exhausted or overwhelmed or even burned out sometimes. And that includes me. I mean, you know, I, sometimes you teach that which you most need to learn yourself. And I've pulled three 65-hour weeks lately. And I told my husband last night, I'm like, I got to get off this hamster wheel. Like I have lost my calibration, you know, I'm stuck in this mode right now of just work, work, work. And so I'm having to apply these same techniques to myself over and over again. But one of the things we know when it comes to the happiness research is we've all been kind of fed this formula that says, put your head to the grindstone, work really hard, achieve more, make more, Get the bigger house, get the 2.5 kids, all of these things. And once you've achieved all of these things, that is where happiness really resides. And what we know from the last 10 years of research, and this is why we now are called into schools, businesses, and organizations to do this work, is we actually know the formula is backwards. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of Sean Aker, but I've studied a lot of his work. He was the Harvard positive psychology professor, professor which was teaching students how to live a life of fulfillment, purpose, and, and how to flourish. And it became the number one class at Harvard University. Wow. Yeah. And he wrote this book called The Happiness Advantage, which talks about, Why we actually now know that happiness needs to come to the forefront. And when we can put our happiness at the forefront of our businesses and organizations, we change every single business, education, and organizational outcome. And let me just give you a couple stats, Steve, because I have this brainy, nerdy part of me that just (laughs) loves the research, but a positive brain is 31% more productive than a brain at negative, neutral, or stressed. So if we were to ask you or your, the people who work in your institution, are their brains mostly at negative, neutral, or stressed? And if so, they're actually losing productivity. We also know that a positive brain is going to be 10 times more engaged in its job. It's going to be three times more creative, which means it can come up with multiple solutions to problems because certain parts of the brain aren't shut down. So I'm really passionate about this work for two reasons. One, I know that the research really supports that investing in this kind of work is really pivotal in in our businesses and organizations. But I also want it for people because I feel like like life is passing us all by And even though my life isn't perfect and it has challenges, I, I would be lying to you, Stephen, if I didn't tell you that I wake up every day excited to live my life. I really do. Um, It doesn't mean I don't have bad things happening at times, but I've learned how to create a lens through which I view the world that helps me navigate it easier.
1: Very nice. The, so let's, you know, what I'd like to kind of do here is let's talk a little bit about, let's kind of go towards the classroom. Now, now I got to, I got to ask since you already gave us a little peek earlier. Um, so you were a a teacher for a little bit, right?
0: Yeah, I was, I was a fourth grade teacher for about eight years. And then I was a literacy coordinator for three years. And then I was a curriculum director for three years.
1: Very nice. Very nice. So the, uh, um, one of the things that, uh, so, so I got to ask this. So What'd you like about teaching the fourth graders?
0: Oh, I feel, I still, to this day, like, you know, when I was literacy coordinator, I got to see education at all levels, K through 12. Um, But still seeing that, I feel like fourth graders are just, I don't know, they're my favorite. I, I think, you know, if I think about what I miss the most in the classroom, it's that they're, when you're in education, you, you do get delighted by kids and, they just make you smile and laugh and they also make you really pissed off sometimes i'm not gonna (laughs) lie like i'm not a i'm just a straight shooter right like there were times i thought i was going to lose my damn mind but the parts that i loved was being able to really connect with them and to see their joy and to feel their love and to know that like i always felt like for me my mission was not just i'm going to help them be better readers and mathematicians and writers my goal was that every kid left my classroom and felt like they had some skills to make them better at life.
1: That's awesome. That's an awesome goal. Cause that's, um, I think we need that continuously. Actually. I don't think it uh, stops at any time. I think, uh, I think sometimes we can be sat down and reminded that, you know, it's just like you know, over the last bunch of years, uh, um, and, and until recently I didn't own one. And in the last couple of years, like now I own my own kayak used to just rent them. Um, and I'm not going off cliffs and things like this. I'm doing <laughs> recreational kayaking, but I've discovered that there's nothing better than you go out in that, that kayak and you go in the stream and you go out into the wilderness. And I don't care if there's a bazillion other kayakers out there. If you just let yourself kind of listen to the water, listen to the birds and just kind of take a look around and just kind of go. <sighs> it's like this is nice. And, and, you know, and, and a lot of the places where I'm doing this, there are a lot of people you're eventually, if you're the only one there, you got to really take hold of that and say, awesome. I'm the only one here because it's going to be over with in about five minutes because all of a sudden the whole crew will be somewhere behind you. But uh, you know, COVID kind of did that to the, (laughs) to the streets as everybody started owning a kayak, but uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, Oh, there's just that sometimes we've really got to have that, that ability And sometimes it takes somebody saying to you, um, Hey, are you all right? Yeah. I think you may need a break from the world for a little bit. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And I think we're not talking about this. I mean, I think there are people that teach right next door to us who are having struggles, but we're, we're, we're keeping it to ourselves. We're, we're not creating places within the organization where it feels safe to share our struggles. We haven't been taught that. Have we, we, um, we, we haven't been taught that it's, it's safe to expose our vulnerabilities. And so, um, but what we actually know is that sense of connectiveness and those relationships can really grow when people feel valued, safe and seen. And they're not just going throughout the day. Um, I mean, so many teachers tell me like, I just slap a smile on my face and I act like I'm the happiest person in the world. And then I go home and I cry and I feel irritable and I'm frustrated with my own family. I'm short circuited. There's nothing left. I'm ticked off at the world, but then I show up the next morning and I put a smile on my face. And, um, that's kind of sad, isn't it? That I mean, I, it's like, we're trying to do best for our students, but we also feel those effects happening in our personal life. And that feels, we have lots of guilt over that.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's an amazing sort of thing because I know lots of uh, colleagues and uh, myself included, you know, as a, as a principal, you want to talk about pressure to, um, I I want to steal from someone who told me the other day, I asked him a question about how they, when life gets too hard, they quoted from the, uh, madagascar penguins they said smile and wave you know and it's yeah. it's kind of you know and it's kind of like uh that i mean because as an administrator you're really expected to kind of smile and wave just all is good all is good yes i've i've got this uh, pile of things back here but all is good and you know and you start learning how to try and figure out how to take a time out i am very thankful for a band director who uh um learned that i played trumpet um in another school where i'd been with uh Cause I played as a kid and I kept that going through college, that type of thing. Never realized how much of a tool it was going to be to help me connect with kids or to take a break from reality. Because uh, um, that band director said, uh, now I know you played in a Christmas concert. So if you ever, you just want to escape the world, just come on in here and practice with the kids. They'll love it. And, you know, and that was a, that led to a lot of other types of appearances with the, the trumpet, but it was, you know, talk about just that alone was, oh, Yeah, it's
0: because, you know, and I don't think like I call that play. And the research is really strong that even adults need time to play. And so, you know, playing the trumpet is something that allows you a a little passion and a hobby and to bring that and make that part of your work is a great way to boost your your brain and the endorphins, the dopamine, all of that that's hitting your brain when you do that. I love that story. I think that's a great Way to relieve some stress and, and take something that you're passionate about and, and bringing it into your job. I was passionate about animals, so the ho- whole fourth grade year was, you know, centered around persuasive writing and working with local animal shelters to cool. to um, help the kids write persuasive letters and get dogs adopted. And so, anytime we can take an outside passion and bring it into our job, it just really does kind of elevate. Um, our level of happiness, I think, with within that job.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. That's uh, I think you're right. I because I, I know just because sometimes what it does is by bringing that outside in, you connect with the kids in a different way. Oh, and yes. They see you as a lot more real, and which then very much allows you to to deal with whatever the nonsense is part of it, and kind of put it in its little box for a while. So while we're over here, and uh, you know the. Uh, you know, the the biggest problem, by the way, when you're older and you're playing a trumpet and you're in sitting in with a high school band is that the kids believe then that you should be able to, you know, be able to really hit high notes and just be able to just be this incredible trumpet player. Because obviously you've been playing for a long time because you're really old. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like OK, no, because I'm not the kid who practiced all the time. All right. I'm the kid <laughs> who just likes it and is good enough to be able to have fun with it. And uh, and, you know, that type of thing. And they're like. Hey, that's, and so then they kind of identified with you from that direction. Oh, yeah, cool. that's a so, great
0: <laughs> lesson for them. Yeah. I love it. Yes. So, and guess, just so you know, the, the research for school leaders is that school leaders are reporting even higher levels of stress than even the educators, the teachers are right now.
1: I can imagine. Cause you got the whole world kind of telling you what to do and anything you do. I mean, you normally have that, but in, in this world now, you're, you're really scrutinized under, uh, you know, have you put my child at, uh, an unsafe situation because of, uh, something going on over here, or I saw the kid's video on YouTube and, you know, they're showing all the kids coming so close together down the hallways. And, you know,
0: yeah, what- so I know, I know we, my superintendent, we, I have a superintendent who lives in my neighborhood and, um, he was telling me, he said, You know, when they started doing um, virtual way back, I don't even know, like last August, September, and um, they were they went strictly to, you know, online learning at home. And so they had the cafeteria setting up to go lunches for students in the parking lot. And the parents were complaining about the food options that were available. He's like, I literally had to spend time talking to parents who were complaining. And like, we don't like, I'm like, are you serious? But this is really how it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Nice. Nice. Very much. So it's, yeah, that's, uh, instead of being impressed that the, the principals there with the food, um, we have instead, it's it's like, I have several, my superintendents that I work with now, Uh, We're driving the buses to deliver the food and, you know, I'm just, I think it's cool. They know how to drive the bus, you know, it's like,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. but it's that whole thing, right? Like if I showed you a circle and let's say that there's 99 yellow dots on that circle, because there's 99 things that you did really well today. And then there's one black dot, there's one mistake you made or one screw up. Like, what do we all do? We just focus on the one black dot, even though there's 99 other things. And it, when we do that, it just really can zap us. It, it can take us down. Our inner critic comes out really strong and starts berating us. And, um, and so again, right. That's the, the mindset work of, you know, knowing, yes, maybe this was something that was hard or could it be handled be a little bit differently, but like, we really don't take the time to look back and see, all the good that we're doing every day and really acknowledging that for ourselves. And so one of the things I tell people is like, let's learn to give ourselves some darn grace. Can we learn to give ourselves some grace throughout this process?
1: That's awesome advice. Cause uh, most people really don't, they, like you said, they focus on that bad thing and then it's there. And so everything else just kind of is pushed to the side and it becomes, it becomes hard to see, you know, the forest for the trees, whatever the saying is, I scream yeah. up too often. But, the, uh, you know, it's that type of thing. Uh, Wouldn't it be great to have a day to renew, rethink, and reboot in these unprecedented times? That's the mission of the Impact Summit. This will be a moving forward, next day implementable, every learner can be successful kind of day. Register your team today at impacteducationsummit.com. The date, June 23rd. The organizer is Susie Pepper Rollins, three-time author and national presenter. Just head to impacteducationsummit.com for details. So we've kind of talked in and around a couple of things. I want to make sure that we, we do this here just a little bit. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what do you think is really kind of zapping teachers and building administrators right now That uh, really making them feel overwhelmed?
0: Oh, my goodness. What a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, a little bit. <laughs> I think it's everything from you know, I I think it's everything from, I mean, I know one of the things that's zapping the teachers right now is like, they know their students are not getting the ample opportunity to learn. And not only that, but they are spending hours and hours of their day just trying to retrieve homework or work from Mm -hmm. their students. And then, you know, I feel like our administrators are carrying the bulk of the the frustration they're getting from the teachers and really not always knowing th- what the solution is to that but i think it's just every other thing that has been coming at them i mean i had a superintendent the other day who said kim like i never like i know so much about this lysol spray chemical like i know too much about the number of feet and the number of ions in it and you know and it's just like it's overwhelming to keep up on all of the protocols, but also I feel like they are being way more judged than they ever have been. What do you think? I'd like to know your answer to that. question. Well, I think
1: you're right on the money. And I think not only are they being overjudged, they're feeling it. And yes. because it's coming from, you know, it's, it's coming from all areas from the, you know, the, the legislators to not just not just parents and grandparents. And it's coming from lawmakers. And you know, lawmakers have tuned up that rhetoric too much. And it doesn't matter which party you're in. They're um they're they all like to tune up that rhetoric turn up that rhetoric about uh, um you know, everything's endangering this or endangering that. And uh, and it's like, you know, part of what would be helpful. And then you have community politics and all kinds of stuff that get into involved in this. And so they hear all that stuff. Cause you know, you go to the grocery store or someone goes, Hey, Steve, you're a, you're an educator. What do you think about? And you go, yeah, it's like leave your teacher alone yes. or leave your superintendent alone and let them try and figure yes. this out. And, you know, unless you're going to volunteer to be there to help pass out things or clean things. And, yeah. you know, I think, I just think a lot of it is that it's it's so much other stuff on top of it, something you said earlier okay, so we do virtual and we do face-to-face and we're trying to retrieve homework. We're trying to find the kids who decided that you know, for whatever reason, the, the parents have allowed them to disappear from the uh, face of the earth. And, uh, you know, and that's, yeah. there's that's a, that's a lot of pressure there. To, to My try friend's a,
0: She's an elementary principal and I was running through the streets the other day. She pulled over and she goes, hey, she goes, just so you know, this is the 12th time I've had to take an extension cord to this family's house who refuses to have their kids Do online learning because they keep losing the charger. She goes, "This is the twelfth time I've run a a cord to them." Like, it's it's. I mean, and that's just insane, right? But like, what other choice does she have? That they're not caring whether or not the kids are. You know, they're in a poverty stricken mindset. They're they they have their own traumatic issues, but it has just made the whole thing so much harder. And I really do feel for people who are in this profession right now, I feel like we literally are simply just trying to get through every day, knowing that what we're doing is it's really just not enough, but I don't know what else we can do. And so, you know, I think it's time to take our power back. And, you know, you said something about lawmakers and policyholders. You know, I know right here in the state of Indiana, where I am, they're doing state testing this week. I think that is insane. Can we not? Why would you do this to teachers and to students? And, you know, I read a statistic recently that by the time, well, this is a whole new topic, Steve, I could get on. But, you know, by the time a kid's graduated high school, they've endured 112 standardized tests on average. So you know, I got a lot to say about that, but I know we only have a certain amount of time.
1: (laughs) But uh, you're right. I mean, that's something that I got to tell you. Kudos to the state superintendent in Georgia. I mean, that's where I am, and you know, he's he's been pushing to try and get them to reduce the number at least. And so they did. They significantly reduced the number. And then and then what they're worth, um, the ones that were specifically attached to what we're doing in this uh, in the classroom, and a big part of it. I think that's where some of that pressure is coming from. A big Part of it is that, you know, are you really thinking that I'm going to be able to work such miracles that with the kid out of school for a whole bunch of months, then we bring them in and suddenly everything's going to be wonderful on that test. And, and I know you're going to use the test then to just say that we're bad. Exactly.
0: (laughs) I mean, these are all the things that are really, I mean, for, it really is a broken system in many ways. And so if you ask me, why are administrators and teachers stressed out, they're stressed out because they're operating within a broken system and, um, and they're doing it for, you know, they, 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 they don't have a lot of, um, pats on the back. They don't, their paycheck does not mirror the value they're bringing. And I'm just going to say, that's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard to give so much of yourself to a profession when you kind of feel like you're constantly getting, um, slapped in the face, so to speak. You just do. It, it, it is hard, you know, and now I say that knowing that I am so passionate about education and I'm so passionate about us understanding why we do what we do, right? Because none of us went into this profession because we believed we were going to work the hours of eight to three and we were going to collect this really big paycheck at the end of two weeks and we were going to get our summers off. So it's not that we, I think most educators are invested because we believe we can impact and influence students' lives. And that's really the work that we continue to do regardless of a system that doesn't always help us do that very easily. So I think that that's something to really be honored about people in education is, you know, it's a very heart-centered calling or else we wouldn't be able to keep doing what we're doing.
1: I totally agree with you because that's the, the, the ones who, who understand that who become educators and who then kind of shift through the stuff that's out there because I mean, I didn't get involved in this because I thought I was going to get rich. Oh my gosh. And I didn't get involved in it because I thought I was going to have summers off. I, cause I'd never had a summer off. I spent them learn going to more training, uh, taking college classes, doing you know this stuff associated when I became a coach and a sponsor for different clubs, we did all the different stuff that you do during the summer to help get ready for the, the, theater presentation or the yearbook you know that constantly happened and then I was also a goalie coach for soccer and then plus you know it's just there's all kinds of stuff that you that you do in and around that world and some of the best teachers I ever worked with were doing things on Saturdays on their own time trying to help kids get accelerated in their understanding of everything from reading to writing to um, just the the content themselves there so you know it's one of those things that it is a passion that really is what makes some of them get you know, take it on. So I got to say this because this is one of the things that we talked about—the the things that are causing the frustration. How do you think they reclaim their happiness if they're oh, in
0: that Oh, that's exactly what we teach them to do. So even though there are certain things that we can't change, there are things that we can change. Um, and so I think this is a great opportunity for me to explain a little bit more about the happiness research. Sounds awesome. Okay, so we all have what's called a set baseline happiness level. It's kind of like a default that we fluctuate back and forth from. So maybe my default is here and maybe your Stephen is a little bit higher than mine, which means good things happen in our life. Like we get married or we get a new job or we get a pay raise or we buy a a new house or whatever it is, we get a little bit happier when those things happen right? But what we know is that after a very short period of time, your happiness will go right back to whatever your baseline is. So you get married and you get a boost in happiness for a while. And then it usually goes to the baseline or for some people, it gets worse than even that. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, you get a new car, you get a new house, you get a new job, these good things happen in your life and your happiness elevates. But it almost always goes back to your baseline. Now, what's really interesting about the brain research is the same is true for when we endure hard things. We know that as human beings, you can endure loss, illness, trauma, hardship. You can endure really hard things. But the science is really strong in saying that most of us will bounce right back to our baseline eventually. Now. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I struggle to believe that because I kind of think there are certain things that I think could happen to me that I don't know if I would ever regain my happiness levels. But all I have to do, Stephen, is think about this person that I knew went through the most traumatic thing a person can go through or this person or that person. And if you look around, all of us can find people in our lives who have endured the unimaginable And most of them do go on to live a meaningful, joy-filled life. They do. So many people are like, okay, Kim, but I want to know, like, where's my baseline come from? How do I know what my baseline is? And so if you think of your happiness as a pie chart, what we know is that 50% of your long-term happiness is genetic. It comes from your mom or your dad or a mixture of both. And many times when I'm standing on the stage and I share this stat, I will literally see 80% of people's heads drop. And I know they're secretly saying, I'm so screwed. (laughs) Right? Right. Like you're just born into this world (laughs) with a brain that happens to see more good than bad or you're born into this world where you have to work at happiness and so many times people will come up to me and they're like Kim my mom is like so negative all you think I have her neck I'm like, okay well wait a minute that, let's that's 50% of it let's <laughs> let's tell you the rest so you don't lose all your hope okay <laughs> <laughs> um, So here's what's really astounding only about, of our long-term happiness comes from our external circumstances. So what's an external circumstance? Well, whether you're married, single, divorced, or widowed, if you make $75,000 a year or $7 million a year, if you live in a 1,200-square-foot home or a 12,000-square-foot home, What kind of job you have, what kind of car you drive, if you need to lose five pounds or you need to lose 50 pounds, these are all external circumstances. But what happens is, is that we allow external circumstances to steal way more than 10% of the pie. Now, you know, I tell people, obviously, if you've endured the loss of a spouse or, something terrible we know that it's going to eat up more than 10 of your happiness for a while but what we're talking about is long-term happiness right when you look at the overall picture of your life and so this is a really good reminder to figure out what we're putting all of our energy into because most of us are chasing the american dream right because we do think when we land this or when this happens or when I can do this, that I'll be happy, but that never works. So that's only about 10%. The part that has really fired me up for the last 20 years is that, regardless of your genetics, regardless of your external circumstances, every human being has the ability to increase their happiness levels by up to 40%. And that 40% involves three things your actions your thoughts and your behaviors.
1: That's excellent. So so is it improving those or is it what yeah. you do normally?
0: So there's a lot of things I could tell you that are going to help like your teachers learn to put their well-being at the forefront learn to increase their happiness levels you know um, and I'm gonna tell you just like we have to quit saying yes to crap we really don't want to do Stephen <laughs> we have to start saying no to stuff okay <laughs> like I, I and I I you, you, you know we say yes to all of this stuff and we have to stop that's on us that's our people pleasing hustling for our worthiness you know and so it's like no wonder you don't have any darn time for yourself look at all of these things that you really don't want to do that you're saying yes to that actually are causing you to be angry and resentful
1: yes that's funny <laughs> i yeah very much so and if you know and it, it <laughs> and in a school world uh, you know, the principal knows exactly which ones he can go to, or she can go to yes. that will help them in whatever the thing they need help yes. with. So, yes. so there's you more yes, stuff, right? yes
0: people are. Yes, yes. Exactly. But really, um, there's five top research based things that we can do to increase our happiness levels. And I would like to tell you all five, but I would like to really teach you one of those so that your listeners can walk away and have one happiness tip that is going to help with that 40%. Does that sound good?
1: That sounds awesome.
0: Okay. So these are not in any certain order, but one is simply to move your body. If you want to increase your happiness levels by up to 40%, we know that you need to move your body 30 minutes a day. That can be stretching, yoga, dance, walk. I mean, aerobics, running, you know, it can be any of these things. This is a no brainer. We know exercise works. We know it pumps the endorphins into our brain. But it does make a really big difference in our overall happiness levels. The second thing is gratitude. And that's the one I'm going to go deeper with you on in a minute. The third is a meditation practice. And I know that sounds kind of Um, (laughs) woo-woo-y. And when I was a fourth grade teacher, I did meditation with my fourth grade students. And now meditation is kind of coming to the forefront. We're understanding this is something that does need to be embedded in schools. But I will never forget my administrators coming to me. And they're like, now, Kim, you can't call it meditation. You can still do it. But I don't want parents calling me saying they have a white witch as their child's teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. But people are like, oh, am I supposed to cross my legs and say "Mm?" no? Like literally, (laughs) if you just close your office door and for three minutes, you just sit still and know you're going to have a thousand thoughts, but just sit there, sit still. That is considered meditation. So we don't have to overthink some of this. Okay. Um, The fourth one is random acts of kindness. So these are just little tiny things that we can do throughout our day. You know, when I am at Walmart and the cashier is checking me out and she's really good at her job and being someone who used to fear Walmart or fear going in Walmart, if she's like really efficient at her job, I'm like, you are a fantastic bagger. You got me out of here quickly. I appreciate you. You know, it's just these little things, these little compliments, these little emails that we send or a text message to a friend to say, hey, this is what I really appreciate about you. What we know is that the person who who gives the random act of kindness actually gets a better dopamine hit than even the person receiving it. That's cool. And the last one is social connections, which is just relationships, right? Having time, making it a priority to nurture the relationships in our life. You know, my husband and I have pretty much a non-negotiable weekly date night that is set aside just for us. Um, You know, I have time with my girlfriends, which is an area I'm working on because Kim kind of has her work life. And then she has like, we're empty nesters, our sons at Indiana university. So we have all the time in the world to work. So, you know, I have to work and prioritize social connections in my life or else I'll just stay here and do this forever and ever. Um, and so it's understanding that taking time for relationships is going to be a big happiness booster.
1: Very cool. That's, you know, that, that, that taking time for oneself is, uh, yeah. sometimes cause I think we think too much, the brain's going too much, going around, around, around and going, but you could be doing this. You could be doing that. And don't you have that big thing due soon? And it's like, shut up, shut up, shut up.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I always tell people, you know, I'm a straight shooter and here's the deal, Steven. I run 40 miles a week. I meditate at least five days a week. I write my gratitudes every day. The thoughts are still going crazy in my head. Like, you know, I always tell people like, yes, I'm a happiness coach, but these are all the things I have to do just to keep myself kind of settled, you know? And so I'd really like to teach the gratitude practice to your people and really help them understand why they should begin to implement this. Awesome. Okay. So get this the average human being has about 70,000 thoughts a day. Also, of those 70,000 thoughts, if you're an average human being, what we know is that 80% of those thoughts are negative. Nice. <laughs> Which means if you and I, when we hit the sack at night, when we lay our head on the pillow, most of us have had 56 Thousand negative thoughts running in the background of our mind. Jesus. <laughs> I know that's like such a sad statistic, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Well, here's why. I'm going to, it'll help you if you understand the science why. So, the reason this is, is that in our cave times, in caveman times, we had a part of our brain that was called the amygdala that we still have today. And the amygdala's number one job was to constantly scan its environment for anything negative or dangerous in order to protect it. So back then it needed to scan 24 seven, right? Like, would there be weather that would come in and wipe out my clan or my tribe or my people? Would we have a water source? Would we have fire? Um, Would there be a saber tooth tiger? Like our brain kept us safe by being on that constant scan for danger, the problem is is it's 2021 and you and I still have an amygdala.
1: Nice. And
0: it still works in that in that <laughs> capacity. Shut
1: up, shut up. I know.
0: <laughs> so, here's the deal. The research is so strong on this. I can teach you that if you were to write down and the the research says putting pen to paper is necessary, it's powerful. It's still good if you just say it, but it's even more powerful if you write it down. But if you were to write down three different things that you are thankful for every day for 21 days, that after 21 days, you create a new neural feedback loop in your brain. So your brain is full of these roads, right? There's thousands and thousands of roads. And so if one of your roads, Stephen, that you travel down 28,000 times a day is I'm just not good enough. It's not good enough. I'm not doing a good job. That's the road that is going to be more easily traveled down the next day because it keeps getting deeper and deeper. But when we create a gratitude practice, we create a new neural pathway in your brain, which means now your brain is starting to scan and notice and pay attention to more things that are right versus more things that are wrong. It is a simple two minute habit that absolutely will change your life. And I did this as a school teacher. We started our day off with 90 seconds of gratitude. All 28 kids went around and said one thing they were thankful for. At the end of the day, they got their gratitude journals out. They wrote down three things they were thankful for. And so this is not just for you to apply to your own life, but to understand that this can really change the brain's chemistry um, for the better, really.
1: That's awesome. I, I can imagine. I mean, I really can. You start thinking the, the positive things or what you're thankful for or grateful for or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's that's pretty pretty good because that's usually not the way the day starts especially if once you open that email you're enticing negativity
0: (laughs) yes oh yes it is the stress level comes on so fast and you know these don't have to be big or profound things like I'm sitting in my office I'm thankful for my water bottle I'm thankful for you know the green grass that's coming up I'm thankful for the fact that tomorrow my house cleaner's coming is going to get this house cleaned up because it's a disaster you know like it doesn't have to be big or small it just can be anything that you notice but i will tell you that it's probably the number one thing that i teach people that really it really does change their life and in fact we have created i have created um a gratitude prompt and tracker for you. So for your listeners, I can send you the link, Steven, and you can put it in the show notes. It's going to give you a teeny tiny bit of the research around gratitude, but then it's five prompts that are going to get you looking for gratitude in your life. And then we actually have a 21 day tracker that you can use to track your gratitude. So I'd love to send you that link. If you think it would be helpful,
1: that would be awesome. So please do.
0: I okay. I will. The show notes. I will.
1: Awesome. So I will make sure that, that, uh, um, get shared with them. And I appreciate that. And, uh, and Kim, we're kind of, we're starting to, which is, this is bad because I've got so many other things I want to ask I you. I told so.
0: you we would be in trouble. <laughs>
1: and So I got to tell you, I'm going to invite you. We got to, we got to have a part two to this down the road. All right. We got to talk about some of the other stuff that you, you talk about, but, but, uh, but, before I finish up now, I want to make sure you get a chance to share a couple of things. Can you, you have a podcast. Can you want to, you want to share a little bit about She Finds Joy podcast?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have a podcast called She Finds Joy. And in that podcast, um, I'm not just sharing how we can all find more joy, but I'm talking about how we can overcome hard things and how we can start to move the needle in our life just a little bit. So that's a great place to find me. Um, I do have a free Facebook group where I show up and do a lot of the same trainings. And that Facebook group is also called She Finds Joy. I will tell you that in that group, we have a ton of women and a, and we have a few really strong men who have been brave enough, but it's really a place where, um, It's the same thing as the podcast, right? Like how can we talk about hard things and resiliency and grit, but also how can we reach for way more joy in our life? And so those would be two places to find me. And then my website is um, strobeleducation.com.
1: Awesome. I'll have that uh, linked in the show notes and uh, they're available for everybody, which is really cool. Now, um, just before we go, I got two questions I want to ask you. And one of them goes like this. So we've been talking in and around this type of thing. How do you keep going, Kim, when you got so much going on that you may want to quit?
0: Oh, well, I think for me, I have just been, I think a lot of people find what is called their zone of excellence, which is the thing that they're really good at. But for me, I think I've been able to find what's called the zone of genius, which means I just. I just am on on fire with helping make these changes in the world with people. Like I just think that my passion and my drive is so strong for it, that it's really part of my life's mission. And so I have the opposite problem, which is, you know, shutting it down.
1: Gotcha. The, uh, um, so thank you. Now I got got another question for you. do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say, thank you.
0: Oh, I do. I do. Um, so her name was Betty Wilgus and she was my first grade teacher. And well, I went to a really lovely Catholic school, but back then we were classified just like we are now into leveled reading groups. But back then you were named after bird groups. Do you know anything about this? No. Okay, well, it's a true story. And for lots of people, will recognize this. But if you were a really strong reader, you were a bluebird or a cardinal. And if you were an average reader, you were a robin. And if you were a below average reader, you were a blackbird. Well, I used to struggle with reading in elementary school, so I was somewhere between a robin and a blackbird, and I just really wanted to be a cardinal or a bluebird, but Mrs. Wilgus was so like kind and gentle to me that she just helped me realize that I could become a better reader eventually, but that I was more than just a reader, that I had other skill sets that I was really good at. And so she passed away this last year, but three years ago, I knocked on her door and I shared with her. The influence
1: that she had in my life. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's amazing when we have those people that help us work through or figure out or overcome. And that's cool. So, thank you so much for sharing.
0: You're welcome.
1: Uh, Kim, this has been awesome today. I can't thank you enough for talking with me. I mean, its I wish you the best in all you're doing as a happiness coach. And uh, thank you for sharing your personal stories and, uh, and helping us figure out uh, what we might be able to do uh, to uh, get out of our Ter- terrible overwhelm and re- recuperate our happiness. And uh, I appreciate that as well as I'll be sharing that uh, that link for the listeners too. So
0: you're welcome. That- it's my honor. Thank you.
1: Hey, don't forget, you need to go to kimstrobel.com slash gratitude tracker. That's right. And you'll go get your uh, gratitude tracker. That'll help you learn how gratitude can change your life. Cool. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio.